While you're turning there, let me mention two things. This Wednesday night, uh, my family will be out of service uh, due to because of the times, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday conference at the Pentecostals of Alexandria. And uh, But I know that you'll be in the house of the Lord. Amen. You'll be worshiping like you always do, so please just know that's where I'm at. Also, just so you'll make you'll be able to make plans on February the 5th at 6 p.m. and February the 6th on that Sunday night will be our annual missions conference. On that Saturday night, our district superintendent, Brother Darrell Weber, uh, will be preaching to us. And on Sunday night, Brother Jerry Dean will be joining us in service. And I can assure you that you will not leave disappointed. We always have a great time at our missions conference, and I'm asking you to please do everything you can to be here for both services. Brother Darrell Weber, I'm sure, will speak more, but he started a church in Lafayette, Louisiana, and labored there many years, and I believe it's running probably 350 to 400. He knows all about church planning and North American missions, and he's going to share his burden and his heart on that night. And then, of course, Brother Jerry Dean has been a mighty man of missions for many, many years, and so I'm excited. How many love missions conference? I love missions, and so I'm excited about what God is going to do this year through missions. Amen. Psalm 78 and 9. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. I want to preach tonight, by the help of the Lord, a passion to pursue. A passion to pursue. Lord bless you as you're seated tonight. Long before Brother Cox arrived Wednesday night, and began to talk about themes. How many remember themes? Little did he know that I had planned on this Sunday night to cast vision for this church for 2022. I realized that my intentions were the beginning of the year and then sickness and all of these different things. And so I felt like tonight would be the night that I would be able to share my burden for this church, and as I began to seek God last year for direction, as I do towards the end of every year, I couldn't help but reflect over the past three years since we came to this great church. I'll never forget it etched in my mind that weekend. I can tell you everything about it nearly, except what y'all were wearing, but I can remember walking out that side door and having 200 sets of eyeballs staring at every single thing I did. I couldn't help but be up here feeling like I was a bug on a windshield and everybody was looking at me. And, and in some ways, it seems like that was a long time ago, but in other ways, it seems like it was just the blink of an eye. Three years, I looked at pictures from every pastor, pastor appreciation where I'm holding that cake. And the constant thing that I'm finding is every year my hair turns wider and wider and wider. I'll look like I'm 60 by the time I'm 40 at this pace. 
But I'm so thankful that God has woven our hearts together in such a beautiful and unique way. Can I tell you that the blessings of God are evident upon this congregation for which I give God nothing but thanks and praise. I believe that it goes without saying, but let my, let my words echo my heart when I tell you that God has been good to Wallace Ridge. In spite of everything that this church has endured, when the oil market dropped and the pandemic was brewing, I, I'm so happy to say that in spite of all of that, we still were able to pay off all of our debts. We still have people employed. Hey, friend, we ought to give God praise for his blessings. He protected your jobs. He protected your finances. He protected your bodies. God has been good. It would be easy for us to stop and grow content with where we are at as a church and rejoice over what God has done in the past. But I want you to know tonight that we have not seen God in his fullest. He has given us a taste. He has given us a glimpse. But it was to whet our appetite for what he has in store for this church. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. Consider with me the 12 spies. God directed them to be sent to that promised land. They scouted that land for 40 days. Came back. Ten had an evil report. And two, two, Joshua and Caleb. They never forgot what they got a taste of. They simply carried out a fraction of what God had waiting on them. And they, Caleb, I couldn't help but wonder for all those years he played it over and over in his mind what that promised land was like, what those grapes were like, what that honey was like. And in Joshua 14 and 10, he said, And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. As he said, these 40 and 5 years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. He was now 85. He was 40 years old when he got a glimpse of what God had in store for them. And this is what it said in verse 11. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for one both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain because I saw a glimpse of it once and now I'm ready to pursue what God told me was mine. I wonder if there's any Caleb's in this place that'll rise to your feet and say, God, I'm thankful for what I saw in the past, but I'm ready to pursue something greater.
mean we haven't seen our greatest revival. We haven't sang our greatest song. We haven't built our final building. But this is a taste of what God has. Amen, Lord bless you, be seated. We find Caleb with a passion to pursue. Never forgot. And he knew one day I'm going to get the fullness of what God told me I'd have. In contrast, we have our text. The children of Ephraim, one of the largest tribes Armed and carrying bows. But they turned back in the day of battle. Here was a people that had everything they needed to be victorious. They had the bows. They had the arrows. Let me say it like this. They had all the resources at their disposal. But they didn't have what mattered the most. And that was a passion to pursue. They turned back when they were needed the most. They couldn't take the heat. But rather they retreated when the battle got tough. My friend... We as a church can give you everything you need to be victorious. We can preach the word. We can provide an atmosphere of singing and fellowship. We can give Bible studies at all types of resources. But what I cannot give you is I cannot give you passion. I cannot give you desire. I can teach you. I can provide for you. But only you can have a passion to pursue something like you never have before. I'm calling upon this church to not be satisfied with the resources that we have and say God thank you for good church but we gotta have passion to pursue like never before. I'm hurrying. I'm watching the clock. What do we pursue? Well I'm gonna tell you what we pursue. First, we need to pursue God. I know that sounds simple. I saw small explosions above everybody's heads. But when I say we need to pursue God, I'm not saying that we need to pursue God in the sense that he's running from us. There was a book years ago. I don't know if you read it. It was called God Chasers. Anybody ever heard of it? Dumbest book I ever heard of. Because God is not something you chase. He wants to be found. That sold a lot of books and made somebody a lot of money. But when I say pursue God, I'm not saying that we have got to find God. Because God's everywhere. You go to the heavens, he's there. You go to the depths of hell, he's there. You'll never go somewhere where God is not. So we don't need to seek God like we're playing hide and seek. But when I say pursue God, I'm saying we need to desire him and the leading of his spirit more than ever before. 
If you think about the children of Israel, when, when they came across that Red Sea, when, 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 when they were punished for their disobedience for 40 years. Now, you've got to think about this. This is how my mind works. If you're going to spend 40 years going nowhere, why can't you just camp for 40 years? You're not going anywhere. Why not just make a little town and for 40 years wait until everybody's dead that don't need to go? But I'm not God. Can, can I tell you this might be why? Is God understood what happens when humanity gets complacent. I.e., they turned made a golden calf while Moses was on the mountain and they got bored. So God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to always keep them pursuing me. So I need to put a cloud in the day and a fire at night. And I might let them rest just a little bit, but I want them always on edge watching for my presence. I want them always willing to pick up everything and to follow the leading of the Spirit. That's why it wasn't about them wandering 40 years. It was about God teaching that younger generation, hey, there's a Spirit of God that I gotta follow. There's something that's leading me. I can't get comfortable by myself. I gotta pursue after God what are we teaching a younger generation are we teaching them uh, that we can just go to church and sing five songs uh, clap our hands uh, or are we teaching them how to follow the leading of the spirit uh, in a service you know there's a flow of the spirit in every service whether you find it or I find it or not there is and you gotta I, I remember my old, this is going to sound elementary. My old, old pastor, Brother Creel, he's passed on to be with the Lord. He was so spontaneous. I can remember bits and pieces, but I've heard stories through the years. He'd be sitting in that chair behind the pulpit. Oh, on that side, they had chairs. And he might jump up in the middle of service. And just shout, if you want the Holy Ghost, stand up and shout hallelujah three times and you'll get the Holy Ghost. And people would jump to their feet and shout hallelujah three times and the Holy Ghost would fall on them just for the first time right there. He was spontaneous. There was one service I heard about in the old church. Man that was there told me, he said that, he said Brother Creel just had a way of, he, he, he could get in that vein of the spirit and he understood the mind of the people. And it was hunting season. And they had been, all them men in the church had been using dogs to hunt, kind of like up here. And, I mean, I think it's fun. I just don't think it's fun walking five miles in the woods. But if, uh, we can follow them on the four-wheeler, that'd be different. He got up and he said, he knew those men's mind was on hunting dogs. And he got up and he said, Brother so-and-so, why don't you get up here and start barking like that old dog? And he got up and started, however, a dog trees, and the place blew up, and the Holy Ghost fell in that place. There's a flow in every service. And we've got to be sensitive enough to say, God, I'm not just going to waste the service, but I'm going to follow after the leading of the Spirit. If you want me to run, I'm going to run. If I feel like i got to dance, I'm going to dance. 
presence, but I want to follow the leading of the Spirit. Here's my job description as a pastor. Whether you like it or not, this is I'm going to boil it down into one sentence. My job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. There's people that I, I, they need comfort because life has hit them hard. But then when I see those that are comfortable, I got to stir them up because that is a coffin to your soul is when you get comfortable in living for God because you stop following the leading of the Spirit. Comforting the afflicted is love. Afflicting the comfortable is tough love. You shouldn't be the same as you were five years ago in living for God. There ought to be something. David said, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so doth my soul long after thee, O God. You ought to have such a passion in your heart. God, I want more than I've ever had before. I want to be closer than I've ever been before. I want to I wanna just be so near to the presence of God. We've got to pursue God. But secondly, we need to pursue the enemy. We should pursue God because we need his presence in our life. But we should pursue the enemy because we don't want him in our life. David found Ziglag burnt over. You know the story quite well. His men began to blame him. They wept. They cried. And this is what David said. David inquired at the Lord saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered them, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. David understood that his life would never be the same if he didn't pursue the enemy because he would live his life on the defense instead of the offense. Hear me when I tell this church tonight, it's not the will of God for us to be punching bags for the enemy. It's not the will of God for us to live reactive to everything that life throws our way, but rather we ought to wake up and hell ought to be scared when you get out of bed because he knows you're on the offense. I'm not going to let hell determine how my day goes. Some people, every time you every time you talk to them, they're under attack. Everything's an attack. It's not an attack if you run out of gas. I've done it plenty of times. It's just human error. Not everything is an attack. Now, I believe in spiritual opposition. But some things are just human ignorance. Some people, they fight the devil every day. Every day, they're just fighting the devil. Why would you fight something that's already been defeated? You might be fighting your flesh, which you have to kill every day. 
But you're not having to conquer Satan because he's already been conquered. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You don't have to defeat Satan. He's already defeated. He's trying to trip you up. He's trying to let your flesh trip you up. This is what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God of the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you, if you don't know how to take spiritual authority, we did it earlier. All you got to do is start speaking the name of Jesus. And the Bible says that demons tremble at the sound of that name. You don't have to know how to pray in the KJV. You just need to start speaking the name and declare not my family, not my school, not my job. Hell. We need to pursue. You ready for this? Touch your neighbor and say, this might hurt. We need to pursue the right attitudes. Watch what Psalm 34, 14 says. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. People want peace to come to them. It's not how this thing works. Scripture said you got to seek peace and pursue it. Blessed are the peacemakers. This tells me that I can pursue the right things and attributes and attitudes regarding my spirit. Now, I am of the opinion that if we have the Holy Ghost, we need to act like we have the Holy Ghost. I've seen some people that I left and walked away wondering if they had the same Holy Ghost that I had. Some people always mad looking. Just every day looks like a bad day and they're on their face. That's not the will of God. If you got what I have, you have joy unspeakable and full of glory. If we do the if we do without the right attitude, we submit to legalistic guidelines. But if we have the right attitude, doing becomes natural and joyful. I'm going to give you real quick just a few things. What are the right attitudes to pursue? First, I want to seek to be a unifying church member. That's good right there. I'm not going to stay here long. But I believe that we have a wonderful spirit of unity at Wallace Ridge. And it's the will of God that it stays that way. Now, I'm going to just help you. I'm going to just help you. 
This ain't good if I walk away from my notes. But these lights I've learned since I had my surgery, they put a haze out here. It looks like the Shekinah, but it's resting on everybody, so I knew it wasn't. That's a joke. So I walked down here, and I could see clearly. But you know, Brother Glenn, I'm, I'm using Brother Glenn because I knew he, wouldn't, he won't get mad about this. I'm only one person. If, if on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, if I talk to two or three people, then I might miss 75% of the congregation because they're gone. And that's fine. I, I'm not saying don't come talk to me. But I don't want him walking away going, well, he didn't talk to me. Something must be wrong, which he's never done to my knowledge. If, if you have, then I'm operating in the gifts. <laughs> but Brother James, could you imagine people thinking that I don't like them just because I don't say something to them? And if you let one person start thinking that and that person tell another person, then what it does is it puts a seed in their mind and they go, well, he didn't talk to me lately. I'm telling you how it spreads. And then, and then you got, Brother Ray loves me, so I know he would never do this. Then he's going to start looking at me going, I cannot believe he did not shake my hand. Well, that brother so-and-so was right. He's not talking to me either. And then that fast, you let a spirit of disunity start spreading throughout a congregation. Listen. If I don't say three words to you or five words to you or I don't sit down and have an intercourse and we discuss the theological exposition of the Godhead, it doesn't mean that I got anything against you. It just means I'm human and I'm trying to talk to everybody and I just want everybody to make it to heaven. Isn't that good preaching? I know what it's like to have a hundred people I want to talk to and I get paralyzed and I talk to five because I get overwhelmed. And so here's where the body comes in. The body steps up and says, hey, he didn't mean nothing by that. And if somebody comes to you, you say, oh, look, he loves you. He loves your family. He wouldn't be doing you like that on purpose. That's where the body comes in and that blood flows throughout the body and we're strengthened together because we have a spirit of unity at Wallace Ridge. Amen? I want to be, I want to seek and pursue to be a sacrificial church member. Sacrificial. This church has proven to be a giving church. Every year, and I'll have the numbers, I'll have the numbers with your donation statement. I'll type out a letter and I'll brag on how great y'all are. But every year, all of our offerings have increased. I don't, I don't ask this church for every single offering, such as Mother's Memorial, Christmas for Christ, Save Our Children, Move the Mission, which was formerly She's for Christ. I take all of that out of legacy and missions 
and different things throughout the years because y'all give so much to those two main offerings. And it makes my heart proud when I look at the numbers. Hey, this year, just take a gander. Just take a guess at how much we were able to give to She's for Christ. Now, let me help you. We started out giving a couple of thousand. Then we went up to 10,000. Then we went up to 12,000. And this year, Wallace Rich gave $20,000 to She's for Christ. That's missions. That's you. That's sacrifice. Because you're a giving church. Let me say this, and I'm, I, I know I'm kind of jumping the gun, but the Chase is helping me put together a presentation for the Chase and the James about this dorm. But the campground approved our co-ed dorm, which was huge. So we're working to get all of the people. It's a long process, and I would love to say that we would have it done by, by this year, but the committee only meets every two or three months, and so that's what holds everything up. But let me tell you what it's going to take to build a dorm. Money. Soak that in for a minute. It's deep. It takes money. And yes, you're giving. But I'm going to push harder than ever before because I believe we can build this dorm debt free if we all will just sacrifice starting with me. Because it's about our future. You may never stay one night in it, but we got generations that are rising. Y'all believe it can be done? In Jesus' name. I want to pursue to be a prayerful church member. Prayerful. It does my heart good to walk in. I don't go in the ladies except one or tw once or twice, but I know it's always full. I know our men, we have standing room only. That is the heartbeat of a church. It's prayer. It's prayer. We cannot negate prayer for performance. It takes the anointing. The anointing does not make you better than somebody else. It makes you better than you already were. It's when the Holy Ghost moves on you and uses you for a greater purpose. And I want to be a joyful church member. I want to pursue to be a joyful church member. I can't imagine somebody that's living for God that doesn't have joy in their heart. Now, joy is not happiness. It's deeper than happiness. Joy is a divine content on the inside where you know everything's going to be all right. Finally, I'm my last point, those of you wondering when I'm going to hush, we must pursue the lost. We cannot convince ourselves that it's okay for us to just sit in here every service and wait for lost souls to walk in here. That's never been the Great Commission. The first word of the Great Commission is go. Go. He didn't say stay and have church. He said go. Let me give you another word for go. Pursue. Before Jesus was crucified, 
He carried his cross through the marketplace. The Via Della Rosa wasn't a back road through the middle of nowhere. It was a street that wound through the busy marketplace. Hear me when I say we've got enough crosses in the church. We need some crosses in the workplace. We need some crosses, people that will shine their light for God and exemplify the life of Jesus in stores, at ball games, in businesses, and wherever you see a lost soul. Church was never meant to be a noun. When it turns into a noun, it becomes a turnoff. Church was meant to be a verb, an action verb. God help us as we stand. Lest we fall prey to a pharisaical mindset. They were the self-righteous religious people. And it was Jesus who showed up and rocked their world. If we're supposed to be like Jesus, we need to treat people like Jesus. The Pharisees treated people based on their past performance. Jesus treated people based on their future potential. Pharisees gave people something to live down to. Jesus gave people something to live up to. The Pharisees wrote people off. Jesus wrote people in. Pharisees saw sin. Jesus saw the forgiveness of sin. Pharisees came up on people. Jesus gave people a second chance. They brought that woman caught in the very act of adultery. All the Pharisees, the religious people, musicians as you come, they came with their stones because they knew what the law said. And how many times, how many times, Have we had stones in our hands when we were around people that we knew were doing wrong? Because we know what the law says. We know what the book says. They don't need to be acting like that. They don't need to be living like that. The whole time we've got stones. This is what Jesus said. He who is without sin. He knew who the only one was. The only one that wasn't holding a stone. Let them cast the first stone. The Bible says one by one, beginning with the oldest all the way down to the youngest, they began to drop their stones as Jesus wrote in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. We could sit here and say he wrote the Ten Commandments. But let me just use a what if. What if? We do know he was writing in the sand. Or in the dirt. What if Jesus was writing sins that he knew they committed? Maybe he wasn't writing their name by it, but he was being explicit enough that they knew he was talking about them. You can't prove he didn't. We don't know. We know that he knew it. All we know is when he raised his head, he said, woman, Where's your accusers? She said, there are none. He said, neither do I accuse you. That was the law 
Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, but he was the introduction of grace and truth. What would happen if instead of holding stones around people that we know are doing wrong, we just loved them like Jesus loved them? Loved them like Jesus loved you when you were doing wrong. My passion tonight, my vision for this year, it's a one-worder, but it's what I believe God wants this church to do. And that is just the word pursue. We're going to pursue God. We're going to pursue Satan and keep him on the run. We're going to pursue the right attitudes. And we're going to pursue the lost. If you want to be a part of it, I want you as a church body to make your way down the front of this building. It doesn't matter where you stand. I just want you to come forward.